0: Well, today's podcast, I'm very happy to be welcoming Lars Kroyer, who is coming to us as founder and managing director of Allied Crowds to talk about something which does come up a lot, actually, as part of industrial strategy in this space, which is carbon offsetting and the voluntary market for carbon offsetting. But before we dive into that, Lars, could you tell us a little bit about your background? I know that you started out as an analyst and uh, then you're in hedge fund management. Perhaps you could talk to us about how you've come to found allied crowds and and how you find yourself at this point in time?
1: Sure, Um, well, thanks for having me first of all. Um, So how I came to found allied crowds was I I started and ran a hedge fund um, here in London about a hundred years ago. And um, I should just for full disclosure say I'm still involved in the industry. I sit on the board of a number of funds. About seven years ago, I started Allied Crafts, and it was really as a way to get involved with poverty eradication. I was, I felt, I'm still feeling like I still feel like I'm young enough to want to do something with my skills rather than money. And Allied Crafts was really uh, trying to use data, finance, technology to uh, further uh, poverty eradication. Um, which sounds so lofty, but essentially we started doing a lot of uh, technology-driven projects for the likes of the United Nations and World Bank um, and many others. But uh, over the last uh, year, really, um, as you're probably well aware there's a lot of overlap between development work and carbon work. And um, because we had the technology already ready and the database management already ready, it wasn't particularly hard for us to morph into a much greater focus on the voluntary carbon space. So it's sort of been a natural move for us. And um, we're still very much in the process of, of scaling up. But but I found that the answers to some, what I thought were pretty obvious questions, were missing. And so we thought we would go ahead and try to answer this. One of which would be, where are all the projects? What do they cost? Why are the prices so different, et cetera, et cetera. But that's sort of who I am. I'm Danish and lived in the US for 10 years, and I've lived in the UK the last 20 plus years, I hate to admit at this point. So I guess all I really did there was age myself, right?
0: <laughs> I always love hearing the stories about how people have ended up kind of um, either advising on or building products in or, or generally involved in uh, the carbon markets because really they're just people with such phenomenal different experiences but I think I think that that really gives some context to this so thanks for that so let's talk then about the voluntary offsets universe some of the listeners particularly those who are in industry will will already have a good sense of it but just for those who are a few steps removed give us a bit of a the sense of the shape of the voluntary offsets market and then what is it that you have mapped you've talked about this as being a, a mapping of where these projects are and what they're doing but just give us that combination of the shape Uh, of the market and and where your data sits within it?
1: Well, first of all, it's an incredibly disparate market. You know, a lot of people are doing projects all over the world, and it's not like you really have to ask anyone for permission to do a project. So so that's one of the issues that the industry has had, and there's no real central authority whatsoever managing this in terms of regulation or overview or oversight. So really what a voluntary carbon project is, is, imagine... I mean, it might be the worst example ever, but imagine you and I went and bought a plot of land and we planted a bunch of Christmas trees on it. And we then went to a registry and said, we need to get carbon credits for this projects that we can then later sell. Or we need to then prove a number of things to this registry, one of which is that without the carbon credits, this project would not go ahead. That's the key criteria of additionality, namely that we eliminated carbon by doing this project that otherwise wouldn't be eliminated. Then the simplistic way of thinking about it is we now have some carbon credits from one of the registries and there would often be resellers involved. There would be various brokers involved. Maybe some corporates would come directly to us and buy these credits, but we can then sell those credits and retire them. And we would argue that we have uh, eliminated a ton or more of carbon from the atmosphere. That's the idea behind the voluntary carbon market, explained really, really briefly and involving Christmas, which is never bad. But um so I think the way to think about it is that for various, various reasons, many reasons, really, uh, an ever increasing number of corporates and individuals want to be carbon neutral or reduce their carbon footprint, and mm-hmm. and, and there are all sorts of regulated ways that uh, force people to do it, but in the voluntary market, it often has to do with corporates very genuine desire to be more green, but also increasingly pressure from customers, suppliers, et cetera, investors even, to be carbon neutral, maybe even carbon negative, or at least less carbon uh, emitting. Um, and what corporates can do then is to go buy these carbon credits and use that in various ways for their own reasons.
0: And for our, the industrials that we most often come across, I suppose it's it's partly what is exactly as you've just described, but also they want to be making moves to reduce the carbon footprint whilst the technologies that they are testing and investing in are are still in those kind of early stages and not yet fit for scale or not yet at scale. So I suppose some of this is a permanent plan and some of this is how do we offset things in the short term until we've actually stopped uh, emitting at the levels that we're emitting at.
1: Yeah, and I mean, this has not got much to do with our database of technology, but I think yeah, I'm an economist by background, but let's say you have one company where reducing a ton of carbon costs $50 a ton and you could legitimately prove that you could reduce that ton of carbon for $2 a ton well there's a lot of economic value in doing so and and so it's not always clear to me that it makes sense to have all production everywhere be carbon neutral it may simply not be practical so this uh, the voluntary carbon market can provide a very good to say basis for for optimizing you know, the, the the carbon strategy of various corporates,
0: and so the the benefit of the work that you and your group are doing is there's two main issues or criticisms, if you like, of uh, the offsets market that that you're addressing, which is about accountability but also you were talking to me when we were preparing for this about this whole concept of additionality as well. Perhaps you could sort of explain a little bit more about that.
1: Well, first of all, I think there are way more than two criticisms, but we're going to hit those two. So, well, first of all, is like, let's go back to our Christmas tree. I should come up with a better example, I guess. But, you know, how do you know when you buy a ton of carbon from our Christmas tree project, how do you know that it's actually additional? That's the first and, and absolutely key thing because, doesn't really remove carbon from the atmosphere if this was something that was going to happen anyhow. So it would be like a fake value, perceived value creation. And and one of the issues that this industry has suffered from is that with no central authority, how do you know as a buyer that you're actually making the world more green? This hasn't been helped by the fact that there's 17,000 projects in our database around the world, and there's probably, we're, we're adding more actually as we speak, but there's, call it 20,000 in the world. And there will be lots of bad apples. And how do you know as a buyer that you're not, you know, basically buying fake credits or credits that aren't really additional, it's a key, key thing. And of course, this isn't helped further by the fact that there will invariably be sort of exposes and stories of, you know, someone that, someone actually went to the Christmas tree plot of land and found a parking lot. You know, that, there'll be horrible situations like that. And this is uh, the kind of thing that obviously centralized data needs to help rectify. There's also the issue, which is a, another central one, is there's no any one price. And if you think about what we're talking about, we're talking about a ton of carbon. A ton of carbon is a ton of carbon if it's done right. But the price for this ton of carbon that we've seen has ranged from about 50 cents about fifty dollars. So that's a hundred x difference that people have paid for what should be the same thing. Now it's obviously not the same thing. It's, so it's not just ignorance, but you know this lack of price transparency and, should we say, credibility transparency, has held the sector back a great deal. And we're trying through the data to help rectify that.
0: So. The accountability part of this is then about the reputation of the project, but also about making sure that that sort of tonne of CO2 isn't already being made use of by someone else's offset programme.
1: That's a key function of the registries. But let's just say you and I have our, our Christmas tree project and we obviously shouldn't sell the same ton of carbon twice can't be true twice that we retired a ton of carbon and took one ton of carbon out of the atmosphere and so it's quite key that 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 is properly accounted for and the registries think of them perhaps as an audit function although they do way more than that but it's also something that the resellers can be very helpful with so think of the registries as they're the ones that come out and write these 50 page in depth reports that you know, what we're doing is actually good for the environment and that we're actually doing what we say we're doing. Then the second portion is sometimes we will then have gotten these credits from one of the registries out there, and there's a tremendous uh, concentration issue there. We will then often go to a reseller and uh, have that reseller be further check. Sort of a reseller would typically be someone that buys credits directly from the projects and sells it to corporates. And they charge a markup, sometimes an incredible markup, but they also serve the function of making sure that the projects are what they say they are and connecting the projects to potential buyers of credits. So they certainly serve a useful function. Of course, a lot of people would say, well, why don't the projects just sell directly to the buyers? And the truth is sometimes they do, particularly very large corporate buyers can to the benefit get a lot of the same credits much, much cheaper than by the resellers, but then they're also liable to...
0: For their own due diligence on those projects. Yeah,
1: they're responsible for it. And I think some of them, especially the smaller corporate buyers, are basically not really well positioned to take that risk. That is clearly the future, though, right? We're talking sometimes way more than 100% markup. So by say for the same amount of money, you can buy twice the number of credits if you go direct. That's clearly something that uh, needs to be understood by the buyer.
0: Well, let, let's revisit something that you actually talked about right at the start, which is about this kind of wide pricing difference that uh, that is seen across these offset projects. And talk to us a bit about about why this is, but also in you know what what advice or what thoughts you have for industrials who are looking at this. Like, what, what is the kind of due diligence they need to be doing to really understand you know what what each project is achieving?
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, I would say. Um... There's tremendous benefit from even just a relatively limited amount of work in this space, understanding, you know, how do you justify that you bought credits from one project as opposed to another project? Is it the type of credits that it is? Is it where it is? You know, is it in the location of one of your sub suppliers or one of your customers? So there could be PR benefits to that, et cetera, et cetera. But I think in general, you can sort of say, well, look, we are paying for a ton of carbon and that ton of carbon, we obviously want to make sure that that's taken out of the air. But I think at the same time, you, you sort of got to measure it up against, you know, how much of a novice are you in the space? And this is really worth doing that amount of work. So I think, you know, for everyone, I would say, make sure that it lines up with your objectives. Make sure you understand what you're doing and there are great benefits, even fairly small amount of work in the space but this this isn't going away i mean is isn't going away as a, as a problem but also as a solution so it's well worth spending the time i think for, for for the various corporates
0: that interesting phrase you used a ton of co2 not being a ton of co2 always
1: first of all a ton of co2 is not a ton of co2 well well obviously it is but a lot of projects have what they call co-benefits right so If you are in a place where not only are you taking a ton of carbon out of the air, but you're also supporting employment or helping indigenous people or helping animals or other things that help in other ways or uh, have development purposes in other way, typically those uh, projects command a higher premium. There have also been um, some debate, although you very quickly get into very rigorous academic debate about is forestry better than methane? And which sectors are better or worse? So that's slightly separate from the the you know what's called the co-benefits. Um, but so there's you know these are hotly debated things. So which is basically saying, well, maybe a ton of carbon isn't a ton of carbon because some people say, well, it's very very hard to prove that when you buy a forestry project that that forest would have been like our Christmas trees. It's very hard to prove that that wouldn't have happened anyhow. Or that if you're avoiding the cutting down of trees, that you don't just go and cut different set of trees down. So as a result of of that, uh, pricing is not as to say uniform as you'd expect. But then also, and this is perhaps the problem we're trying to solve, there's no one marketplace. This isn't like a share in Facebook, which has the same price wherever you buy it, because it's literally the same thing. Here, it's there is no central marketplace. So a lot of these prices is because, frankly, that's what some company was willing to pay for that ton of carpet. And you don't have to display the price. You don't have to report the price. And so, you know, as I said, there's 17,000 projects in our database. A lot of those, they don't have public prices. There is no... One place that centralizes all that, and you say, "Well, why is that?" Well, maybe they already sold all their credits to a corporate, or maybe they have an exclusive agreement with a reseller. So there isn't one place where all the prices are the same. So there isn't an easy mechanism to make them all sort of, should we say, make sense or line up. Now, through our database, that's something we can try to help rectify, so that similar projects with similar credibility and similar co-benefit should have a similar price. And I think one of the benefits for buyers is that that way you know you're paying a fair price or you had a good reason to suspect if you're not. Um, and that in turn will let, lead you to get more credible tons of CO2 for your money, which should be any buyer's uh, ambition.
0: It's kind of fascinating as you're talking about it. I, I think I had underestimated before our conversation let alone before this quite in a way how early stage the market is like the way you're talking about it and the different players within it and the the lack of visibility into it is it's got all the hallmarks of just an early stage market that is going to develop and grow so i'm just i'm wondering what you see the next the next level of offsets market looking like what if you were going to kind of gaze into the future and give your predictions what what what's your sense of where this is heading i
1: mean my view is this is uh this has all the hallmarks for explosive growth because I personally think it's a huge inefficiency that when you look at regulated market, um, corporates are essentially paying $30 plus, sometimes even more, to uh, eliminate carbon. But elsewhere in the world, you can do the same thing for uh, $1 or $2. Now, some things are, right? It seems either you don't believe the one or two dollars or the thirty dollars is inefficient allocation of resources. So I wouldn't be surprised that in time those prices should converge or you know there should continue to be just massive growth in the offset space because if you can credibly believe that you're reducing carbon in the air from the one or two dollars a ton, then yeah, you should do that. I'm predicting that this is gonna grow massively. And aiding that growth will be certainty around prices, certainty around additionality, certainty that you're buying what you think you're buying. An increased transparency will help, setting the basis for growth. But let's not forget, this is not a big industry. Yeah, I think, what is it, $300 million a year globally? Yeah, I mean, uh, all sorts of predictions saying that that's going to be um, 100 times bigger in 10 years. if. The sector, and I call it a sector because there isn't any, again, any one central authority. If the sector gets its hands in order with greater transparency, then they really could, that could set the stage of growth. Or even something where the projects have an easier way to contact, to show their credibility, show their prizes, and connect with corporates. Projects can get a much better sense for what they can sell their carbon for, which will be much better for them in terms of budgeting for the future. So there are all sorts of different
0: and you And for allied crowds and the data set that you're developing, how do you see that product maturing? And what, what's, what's next for, for that database?
1: Right, but we're not going anywhere. This business has like, um, been around for a while and continue to be around for a while. We're trying to find out who is that data useful for. We're very keen to help the projects because ultimately, that's, that's where the carbon will come from. It will be the proliferation of successful projects around the world. And, and so we're developing various ways we can help the projects, but also from the perspective of the buyers. I mean, just knowing that you're paying the right prices and finding the best projects is, should be very valuable. Um, how exactly we do that, it's sort of work in progress. There's, there'll be um, questions around, does it really make sense for us which is at the end of the day, just another firm that very few people have heard of, does it make sense for us to be the repository of all this data? Or should it really sit with a much larger uh, company that could massively benefit from being that repository? Maybe it sits better there, I don't know. But clearly what we're trying to do is to say, well, we're not so worried in the near term about all of that stuff, like who buys, who sells it? but we're very worried about making it useful. And, and so what we're, what we're spending our time and resources is making the data better and better and, um, and, and, and more and more complete. So say, well, isn't it funny when you look at our data, and not anyone can go on there, by the way, it's at it's, it's, it's the allied offsets, but isn't it like, you know, we then do analysis saying, wow, why, why do we have so few projects in, in uh, Argentina just to pick a country? And so we then go and find if we missed registries in argentina and and we've done that for a while to the point where we're now pretty sure we haven't missed a whole lot and then we do a lot of research on you know which kind of projects command the best prices and do we see are they statistical anomalies or is that something we can then price into where we're predicting prices and other projects there's no doubt this is like as I said it's not going away unless someone' magically solves uh, the climate change issues and and this is a part of the solution it's not the whole solution but I think what we're trying to do as an organization is we don't talk a lot we just do stuff and we're very much independent incredibly nimble and and you know we don't write like 50 page reports that need the input of 200 people and three months later you know it's you know reports that are collecting electronic dust right that's not what we do we're very much in the business of getting stuff done that's a nice it's nice to be independent like that i will say
0: that. well look thank you thanks for talking about this we will put in the show notes um just for people listening um obviously a link to our live crowds and um, so you can explore uh, and get in touch to, to kind of learn more about how it could fit with your own uh, carbon offset program and, and plans but lars thank you very much for coming along today much appreciated
1: oh my pleasure my pleasure anytime